Welcome back to Walking Away from Arcadia. Today is another one of our Metaplot discussion episodes. We're going to be talking about the Sundering. Everybody's favorite plot point that got very little writing, because the shattering is easier to talk about. So Victor, where in the world of darkness cosmology did the Sundering first happen? So that's an interesting topic. Originally, when they first started doing the Sundering, it was introduced as a plot point in Werewolf. They were really careful not to say exactly when it happened. Changeling really likes throwing out that when Cold Iron was created, the Sundering happened. So I have a friend who used to work for White Wolf that I game with. And when I first started gaming with him, I actually asked him, when, when did the Sundering happen, really? He hit up one of his old friends, and the internal discussion about when the Sundering was was still actually pretty loose. They didn't want to have a hard date on it, at least not one that would be confirmed everywhere. But it was roughly correlated with the fall of the Western Roman Empire for lots of reasons, but I personally think that makes sense for Changeling. It was originally a werewolf plot point that Changeling got connected to, but you know, you think about the big Western Roman Empire as this great, consistent, cultural, polytheistic institution. And it fell, and then that's really where you see Christianity start to take hold more consistently. It's kind of like the lack of the Western Roman Empire allowed the groundwork for the Holy Roman Empire to sort of build. If you think about things that aren't great for changelings, the rise of Christianity is certainly one of them. This is definitely one of the things that does get explored in a few of the books. Most of the books, honestly, most changeling books have kind of vague rewrites of the same two paragraphs on the Sundering, which are, in the Mythic Age, things were great. And then humans started doing things on their own, and they forgot to dream. And it was very sad, and it happened over a while, we guess. And then things weren't as good as they used to be. I really wish I were exaggerating that. But I went through and I found the Sundering write-ups in every book that I own. And I, I think I own everything except Freeholds and Hidden Glens. And most of them, it's like a more flowery two-paragraph version of what I just said. There are a few shining exceptions, but that's a lot of what you'll find. And two of the exceptions would be The Secret Way, the book about the inanime, and... Dark Ages Fae, the core book for the Dark Ages line version of Changeling. Were there any others that you found? There were a couple. I really liked the write-up on the Sundering in Fool's Luck, The Way of the Commoner. The write-up on the Sundering in Fool's Luck really gets into some interesting territory around... What were all the different groups of Fae actually doing? Like, how did they cope? And they do this interesting thing where they talk about the impact of people moving around, where the Roman Empire had a really impressive transportation system, and it fell, but there was still a lot of travel during the High Middle Ages, and then when you get to you know, the end of the Sundering period, the Sundered world, and you hit the Shattering, you know, transportation goes through the roof, and they address the fact that in the early era of the Sundering, and certainly during the Mythic Age, the Fae were more insular. You know, the trolls 
haunted Nordic forests. The red caps haunt the highlands. They talk about what was going on with the Shi and how they were aloof, because ultimately this is a book all about the commoner perspective. But they paint a picture of Fae society during the Sundering that I didn't see in any other books, and I really liked that. The other book that I thought was kind of interesting was Isle of the Mighty, when it talked about the Sundering, because it acknowledged this really interesting little cultural detail that relates to changelings and Christianity, because it talked about at the beginning of the Sundering, you have the Celtic Church. And the Celtic Church really wasn't antagonistic towards the Fae in the early days. You see this in films like Braveheart, where you have a Christian hand-fasting. And hand-fasting is a pagan tradition, a Celtic pagan tradition, but it's being done by a Catholic priest, and that's very much what the Celtic Church was like in the early days. And then it talks about how once Christianity broadly spread through Europe, the Celtic Church started to change and became more antagonistic towards the Fae. It's not a huge thing, but it is an interesting plot point that if you wanted to do some interesting remembrance things with a Liam character or maybe someone who's bitter at the Liam for getting all wrapped up in the church and drawing attention to the Fae, if that's part of your character's backstory, there is some nuance there that I could see informing a character. Those were kind of shining exceptions to the fairly generic writing rule though you can see some linkages between that kind of a story and the broader conflict in dark ages fey baptism is a major plot point in dark ages fey because it destroys whatever links somebody might have had with the fey whether that was them being a, a changeling or them having outstanding oaths and things with the changelings it's presented as being like this huge terror for the Fae, by and large, I didn't get the impression in Dark Ages Fae that humans thought that much of baptism. <laughs> no, and I don't know that Changeling ever really goes out of its way to decide how it feels about baptism. C20 definitely just straight up says baptism was a terrible thing for Changelings, and the rise of Christianity was a major problem for the Fae. But it's kind of left as an abstract plot point. You know, there is a corollary to that story if you work with Islamic entities that can play the role of Fae and Changelings. Uh, it's interesting with Islam because they actually kept that story in their modern mythology in some cases. There's definitely a consistent story to tell there. When you look at the way it plays out in Changeling, it's interesting because it's all prelude. Unlike the Mythic Age, where everyone has these great origin stories, the Mythic Age kind of feels like the well that changelings draw their identity from. The period of the Sundering is just kind of this footnote for most of them. The Mythic Age, we got our identity. We were huge and wondrous gods. The Sundering sucked. The Shattering is terrible enough that, like, we tell these tales of how we endured it, and then you get to the Accordance War, and the Sundering tends to just be this footnote. The one big exception to that that I can think of is Dougal. House Dougal's story is basically a Sundering story. 
there isn't anything from the Mythic Age about House Dougal that's ever been written. Their defining moment, the moment that they became a house and ceased to just be other she, was the defeat of Cold Iron. And as in most of the stories, the creation of Cold Iron is the beginning of the Sundering, tempering it into steel and muting its ability to screw over the Fae would have been at best mid-Sundering. Arguably, you're getting kind of into late Sundering, close to the Shattering by that point. Dougal is the one house where all of your identity and all of your background and all of your, you know, okay, who was I in the beginning so that I kind of know what to do with this Remembrance stat, that's all really going to come from the Sundering. I actually think it's an interesting exercise to devote more to the Sundering. It's something I think Dougal actually kind of gets right. That would have been the point where the Fae started to engage more the way changelings engage and actually have sort of structured courts and not just these like huge godlike combats. I kind of like that Dougal does that, and I like some of the books that do a little bit more of that or kind of dig into, instead of just talking about the Fae, what was going on with humans. When I looked at Court of All Kings, which really focuses on Ireland, they have a bunch on the Sundering, but it's really all about what was going on with humans in Ireland at that point. There's a lot less about changelings, actually, and I didn't hate that. It's worthwhile, since you brought up that the Sundering sucked for the changelings, to talk a little bit about why the Sundering sucked for changelings. The Sundering is kind of an intermediary period between the time of legends and the Shattering, where the dreaming and the material world weren't entirely separated yet, depending on the source you go with. You have different opinions and even sometimes different date ranges. The anime in particular go out of their way to point out that their sundering and their shattering happened first. But the core element of the sundering is that commerce between what would become the dreaming and the material world was becoming less and becoming more fraught than it used to be. In Dark Ages Fae, there's a lot of talk about oaths being broken, and also the Fae being self-absorbed in their own arcane conflicts and ignoring the material world. In Secret Way, there's this entire subplot about the Inanime having a war between a faction that decided to give humanity the ability to shape their environment, and another faction that maybe with better foresight than the other faction, realized that would be terrible for them. For the Fae, not for the humans. But then there's the Concordian version of the Sundering. Like you said, Dougal gets into it a little bit, but it's kind of just a historical footnote leading up to the Shattering most of the time. One thing that I found kind of interesting about the inanime's sundering story because their whole making war is really the story of the sundering the story of humans tipping over and getting that edge where maybe they were as powerful or a little more powerful than the fae and that's 
one take on the Sondering. Obviously, if you tie to the the Roman Empire falling, it's not a perfect corollary, but it's it's one way of looking at it that I've seen sort of used in some of the books. Is at one point I went and looked up all these different who stole fire myths when I was thinking about the anime, and the thing I discovered is there are myths about stealing fire in a lot of different cultures they do not play out the same way you know when you look at prometheus who he stole fire gave it to humans and is punished for all eternity by having his liver eaten over and over and over again by comparison nanabuju in sort of eastern plains native american traditions his name changes the myth changes a bit i don't want to you know, present that as monolithic, but versions of this story show up in several different tribes along a particular stretch of North America. He was also a stealing fire figure, but he's presented as a great hero. Not like tragic, broken Greek hero either. Like, he's a great figure for having done it, and it was part of him being a trickster, but it's still generally presented positively. And you get all sorts of things in between that, and then when you look at the inanime, who are supposed to be this type of fae between the Fomorians and the Tuahatadanan, but in this game that stretches across all cultures, although it clearly has its root in, in Europe, they're only presented as the gifting fire to humans was terrible. Look at what it did. It destroyed everything. It's awful. I think it's really interesting that that's such a sundering story. And that it's presented that way with the inanime. The inanime are only ever really written as having a relationship with the Cathane, which I think gets into the, all those stories being intermingled. And then the Sundering kind of doesn't happen anywhere outside of Europe. Like, it's not written that way. It's always written as when the world separated from fairy. But when you go and you read about the Menahune or the Nunyihi, there's no Sundering. They're basically in their high mythic age until suddenly the Europeans bring the shattering. There's one in particular plot point that we'll get back to in a minute that like compromises that, but that plot point is always kind of written as an afterthought. I don't know, what's your take on that, Simon? It's interesting that you mentioned Manabujo because he's big around here. One of my ongoing conversations with some of my friends is that the difference between native people and white people generally is that white culture doesn't really acknowledge human beings as belonging to place and that native cultures tend to. There's a place, it's a drive, but it's not terribly far away from here, where the Ojibwe name for this outcropping is called Manabujo at Rest, and the name everybody except them uses for it is like devil's outcrop or something it speaks to that like the sundering doesn't make sense in certain contexts because for native americans for people who locate themselves in a place who give the place meaning you're always moving through story what purpose does the the sundering shattering narrative have there it's very different from the one for white culture generally and i would say that like as a core like element of the changeling mythos it's not one that 
is very friendly to uh, non-settler cultures. You've just given me the perfect transition into my least favorite plot point in Changeling. So now we're going to talk about the she who went over to America during the Sundering before any European humans were there and developed relationships and even, ugh, this sentence is burnt into my brain forever, intermarried with the Kachinas and the Inuas, and I'm sorry that I've repeated that for everyone. This is a big part of the Sundering. It shows up in lots of books. I do not know what to do with it. What does it mean for the she to have intermarried with various families of Native American fae? I can't even call them Nunihi at that point. There was no reason to have a Nunihi nation yet. They like they were just their individual families and their individual cultural contexts. Like what does that even mean? Pre-sundering, pre-changeling way. Yeah, I, this plot is used to justify, like, the she coming back and having these claims on these old freeholds. And it speaks so much to what you just described. I can't help but think about when I visited Ireland uh, a year or so ago. I was struck by how much of place everything was there. The places that represented, you know, fairy culture that they associated with the fair folk were still honored in place right there. And, you know, modern tourist setting, a lot of them had mechanisms around tourism, but even then it wasn't the same way that we do tourism here in America. And so I can't help but also then think about the Sundering as when the European Fae lost their connection to place. And I don't think this is intentional, but like, the Cathane are the only fae that don't gather glamour from the ground and the native world. Every new group of fae they introduce, they put that mechanism on. And it speaks to not being of the place you're in. I think they should come over with their dreamers for many, many, many reasons. And I know that that takes away the justification for them to have claim to anything in North America. I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with that being them manipulating the story and doing shaping combat and rewriting history with that first wave of glamour from the resurgence. I think that speaks to what the she are quite nicely, but I don't know that everybody loves that. But all of that stuff that happens later has its roots in how you think about the Sundering. I always wondered if that weird plot about... The sundering and shattering fae fleeing Europe and coming to North America and existing there in their true fae forms was kind of a vestigial outgrowth of the, the werewolf pure lands plot thing. They both hurt my brain kind of the same way. <laughs> I do not know this plot. Werewolf is the game out of the big five i know the least about for any other some... listeners who who have the same blind spots i do could you fill that one in sure and werewolves isn't my strong suit either but like there's this whole thing where two of the extant werewolf mainline splats are native american based and the entire game has some pretty strong window dressing that makes it seem very native american 
two of the tribes are very strongly Native American. There's a third that disappeared during colonization and is a major plot point. But the gist of it is that in the werewolf cosmology, for some reason, North America is the pure lands where the worm was controlled or somehow evaded longest. And then the European Garou came over and ruined everything by staking claims to cairns that were holding down big, bad worm spirits and disrupting the balance of everything. I always feel like the changeling, like, the she fled Europe during the Sundering and came to North America and established some sort of a relationship with the native fae thing was this, like, incomplete thought where they, like, kind of pilfered that story from Werewolf and then gave up on it. I mean, it does kind of read that way. I'll be honest, I prefer the Werewolf version of that story. It's not good, but it at least acknowledges the Europeans screwing everything up when they come over. The way it's written in Changeling never actually acknowledges that. It never talks about it. It's always, we came over and it was great and it was fantastic. This gets into some of my issues with like thought experimenting systems in Changeling, where you have the she come over, and that's used as the justification for the she owning all of these freeholds and having claim to them once the resurgence happens. But we're not going to talk about the fact that the Nunyihi can't access freeholds. Like, that's a major plot point. And so the she would have had to engage in land acquisition and excluding the indigenous fae from the land that would have had to have been a substantial enough thing in the sundering to have justified the volume of freeholds that they show up and claim when the resurgence happens but like we're not going to actually make this pre-colonization thing a colonization story for the record i don't want it to be a colonization story because i think Ramping that up beyond reality is just not something that this game needs. But it's one of those things where, oh, the only way for this to have worked is that, but we're not going to write that story because we know that's a terrible story. No, just like run the Accordance War the way we wrote it, guys. Don't think too hard. Like, that's... I have a really hard time with this. I struggle with it a lot, and... If you make shaping combat a thing the original Fae did, if you kind of take that from Exalted without any of the plot from Exalted and say, this is something true Fae can do, and you give the She the ability to, like, tap on their full face elves at the height of the resurgence, and you make that part of it, it gets rid of that, but then you pick up a much more intense gaslighting angle on the Accordance War that players really largely seem to want to downplay more than how it was originally written. So, like, as the Changeling meta is currently structured, you kind of have to choose one of these two options if you actually yeah. want the meta to be consistent. I don't remember if it was in Secret Way, but it's in one of the Changeling books that deals with the anime, and there aren't too many of them. But there was one, a narrative piece that I really liked, and I don't normally like World of Darkness fluff pieces, but there was one where 
a she is holding court somewhere, uh, you would assume, in Concordia. And a gloam shows up, an earth elemental shows up and goes, Hey dude, you're an oathbreaker. You owe me tons of shit. Come with me and work this off. The she's like, I am the Lord of the Dreaming. I am totally infallible. I don't know who you are. Because, you know, the mists. I don't remember quite what happened next, but, like, there was some kind of a conflict, and the conclusion of the conflict, whether it was a duel or, like, the she trying to sovereign the gloam, but, like, everybody present at court goes, oh, the dreaming is on this weirdo's side and not the she's side. Welp, we're not going to support that she. And the gloam just drags the she lord off. It's one of those weird places, because... Like you said earlier, the anime are written from an entirely European perspective 99% of the time. Like, it doesn't make sense for that to exist in North America for the most part, because the anime's sundering happened first, the anime's shattering happened first, so by the time the Europeans were rolling all over into North America, they would have already been asleep. So they shouldn't have had any ties with them. And yet, here's this wonderful little story that I love. And I don't know what to do with it. I have to pick one of those two things you were talking about just now, and I don't know which one of them fits that. I have to be honest, I go a little bit farther with the reshaping thing to sort of uh, gloss all of that over. So I absolutely go with the, the she never held claim to North America. That's not a thing. But as it turns out, shaping combat and the ability to manipulate names is grand and terrible, and they could abuse it way beyond PC levels during the Accordance War. I would love an Accordance War game where the she, or at least the Arcadian she, only exists as, like, NPC nightmare things, who are beyond comprehension, because that's an eschatological catastrophe that happened in the history. So I go with that, and then I basically wrote that part of that act... And maybe this is something the commoners did some of during the Interregnum. But, you know, some mixture of that was rewriting the memory of the inanime in North America, that they were reshaped. And I recognize that that's leaning into it being a terrible colonial story. And that's usually how I tell it. And I tell it as this was a grotesque injustice. And I always leave key inanime that actually remember their lived experience. And we're spared it. I never make it absolute because I hate that. And that gets rid of the poignancy or meaning of the story. For me, like, that's the only way to do anything that even acknowledges the text in the Secret Way book in North America without just, like, really having to ignore how terrible that story is in North America. Because Changeling games take place in generally the floating now and not around the Accordance War, around the Shattering, around the Sundering. There are exceptions, but the entire game is pretty much written towards the now. What do you think changelings remember about the Sundering itself? What do they take from it, if anything? Since, I don't know about your players, but most of my players don't take Remembrance. Yeah, my players started taking Remembrance when they realized how many times I asked them to roll it. I really like big mythic stories, even if what's happening in the now is intimate and small and personal. I try to keep my changeling games in the the intimate. 
I feel like that's a big question mark that really should be answered by each individual storyteller. I mean, this really gets back to kind of the core of the controversy over Dark Ages Fae and is it a prequel? Is it not a prequel? A lot of people don't like how hard it leaned into Misty Remembrance. I've seen the writers and developers of Dark Ages Fae post that they absolutely meant it as a prequel, full stop. C20 makes it very clear that it's a prequel, but they leave it loose enough not to alienate the players that want to ignore that stuff, but the hooks are much more explicit. And if you take that angle, then basically changelings don't remember anything about the Sundering. They know these stories that they seem to consistently remember that are absolutely not what happened, maybe through like a very symbolic lens. I like Mining Dark Ages Fae for concepts and like ways to think about fairy psychology. I don't like mining it for direct meta. I like Misty Remembrance, but I think it... (laughs) It strayed a little too far into Misty Remembrance to be usable for plot. So I guess for me, it's less what do they remember and more what are the stories they tell themselves about that time and where is the overlap where what really happened might live and how do they fight over those memories? because changelings are creatures of meaning and people put all this meaning in their culture oh i'm part of a a long and and proud tradition of this culture or that culture or this group or profession i mean we build meaning and identities for ourselves as humans built on this stuff and unless you're an academic whatever stories you're telling yourself about what happened back in the day aren't even close to accurate and if you're an academic and a historian, they're still not what really happened. Like, they're not true to fine grain detail. So I think it's more about who gets to own the story and how do they fight over it? And what happens when you're a group of Cathane and maybe you have one in anime in your party? What happens when you meet the one in anime that has a long-standing relationship with the Nunyahi, and is like, no, no, she ever owned this land. This land belonged to, you know, this group of people until, boom, this date, which is a century or two after your She Remembers coming over here. Because part of that great rewriting that you had to do during the Resurgence War included rewriting your own memory, because you can't do that stuff halfway. I think the way you use the Sundering is in really playing with the Misty Remembrance and what happens when you encounter evidence that you're wrong. And just like straight up use the banality system for that. Because facing that Nunyahi or that inanime who has a relationship with the Nunyahi and some evidence from the dreaming of their claim would be a straight up banality trigger. And like lean into acknowledging my own colonialism is a banality trigger for me because i think that's where a lot of the stories are and if you're not in a north american setting i think there are still different versions of that in terms of having the character who goes all the way back to their celtic roots and then the character who's roman actually play with the tension of like why are satyrs in this mostly celtic quote-unquote pantheon 
there are really interesting stories you can tell there or even to get more just like pure down into just changeling story really playing up the conflict between the Balorians and the Gideons and what they remember differently. There's a whole thing when I was reading about the Sundering in the House Balor chapter about how Balor created the Ashit. Is that true? But probably not. It's changeling. And that was a, a chapter clearly written in unreliable narrator voice. But like they remember that. And so what does it mean to navigate that? And when someone decides to claim that and what that lineage means. There's a very similar thing, I think, in the Shadow Court book where I don't remember quite the context of it anymore, but somebody was like, yeah, the Unseelie Court came up with the Ashit. I don't know why these Seelie fucks use it. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And I think, you know, because they chose to write the Nunyahi and the Menahune, they turned Changeling into a game with a centrally colonialist narrative. But the Sundering is kind of where a lot of the changeling identity that they don't want to acknowledge comes from. Again, with the exception of House Dougal, I'm going to cling to this mythic age. But what's interesting is, you know, there was this plot in Shadow Court book that kind of got thrown away and no one wants to acknowledge. They're like, oh, no, it doesn't make any sense about, well, the Shadow Court is talking about wrapping changelings in banality to survive the long winter. And everyone's like, that's heresy. But the Sundering is kind of the first time in the Changeling canon that the Fae did that. The world diminished, and for the Fae who chose to stay on Earth and adapt, they changed. They became something less than. You know, they always tell it as, well, the Sheer, the children of the Tuatha Dé Danann, but sometimes, like, the Sheer, the diminished Tuatha Dé Danann. And it's always kind of vague, but playing the Sundering as the first time that the Fae did this thing that they would end up doing again, that they're now, like, in the name of, like, not triggering their banality, ignoring the fact that they might have to do more of, like, there's a whole arc for the Sundering sort of being the Jungian shadow of changelings. The, like, it's part of me, but I don't want to look at it. I think there's a lot of interesting meat there, just to approach it archetypically that way. That's definitely one way to wrangle the general theme of the Sundering. One of the things that I've been trying to figure out how to do is to use the Sundering as a diaspora kind of thematic element, because in a way, the Sundering is the first time the Fae have to choose between their homeland and their other homeland. In Dark Ages Fae, it's very clear that the problem that gives rise to the Sundering is that the Fae position themselves as the terrible caretaker gods of humanity that made it possible for them to survive in the wilderness, and then they got distracted with their political infighting, often it's not the dreaming, but the place humans aren't, and humanity somehow figured out how to take care of themselves and now they don't need the fey anymore and all of these oaths are breaking and suddenly the fey have to pay attention to it's not reality yet but the place humans are and it's it always seemed to me after reading the backstory for dark ages fey that that was kind of the core that they were trying to get to in dreaming 
for example, during the shattering, the she leave. And everybody who's left has to figure out how to make this place the real world their home now. Then, at another point, the she leave Europe and go to North America. And at another point, the Nunyahi are displaced by the arriving Europeans. And it's just this pattern that keeps repeating. There's a story about being displaced that's not quite told. I'm not sure it was what was intended, but if you wanted to run the Sundering as a story of displacement or diaspora, suddenly you have a place to put all of these non-white cultures having a Sundering of their own, one that's, you know, not written because it probably wasn't what the writers intended, but you could have the Sundering be the story of being displaced whether by colonization or by, how would you put it, uh, the fae in Europe becoming redundant or going even farther afield, you could have an entire story dedicated to how the sundering for African-American descended changelings is tied to the Caribbean and the slave trade. You could tell a really interesting story about what it takes to create place there. You know, it is a story I have no business telling <laughs> for a lot of different reasons, not least of which is my not having deep knowledge about that. But suddenly the game opens up a lot when you take the sundering to be about displacement. And, you know, even turning it back to the part of changing that's got the most word count dedicated to it, the European Fae, I feel like that makes their story start to make more sense. Not to say it doesn't work as written, but it's deeper. And I've seen some academic writing about what really informs white Americans struggling with or rejecting outright the idea that they're privileged, we're privileged, or that minority groups have a valid lived reality that is different from white Americas. The thing at the core of that is that white Americans generally have different levels of this sense of being without place, that because we move through the world without having to acknowledge that, you know, there are some places it would probably be better we were not in. At the core, way down deep on a level most people don't recognize, the problem there is entitlement, but it's also sort of a blindness. For white Americans, the vast majority of America is not only accessible to us, but also geared towards us. So there is no sense of place there at all. Well, and that also does another interesting thing, because it lets you transform the shattering story for the Nunyahi and Menehune, I'd say more the Nunyahi, maybe doesn't even apply to the Menehune exactly, but it lets you transform their shattering story into a sundering story. You know, the way it's written, they talk about how 
the Nunyahi didn't have a sundering, and then colonialism happened and boom, shattering. But that kind of glosses over what really happened, because the shattering is about lack of belief. The shattering is about not being able to access the dreams of your dreamers anymore and not having, you know, people worship you even as the small gods of nature. The Sundering, if you make it about that displacement, it gives a place to have the story where white people came over and started to push the indigenous peoples out of their place. Because this often happens, you know, the concept of Native Americans comes up, and that is a modern concept in a lot of ways as a, as a cultural identity, but it absolutely would not have existed when Europeans got here. You know, if you displace a tribe and say, oh, go west, force them to go west, they're then out of place. They're out of their place. It's not like that happened and now suddenly none of them believe in their spirits anymore. Of course they do. You know, it, it creates a sundering story for them it then opens up a shattering story that is about a different stage of colonialism where we intentionally erased their culture. It opens up a shattering story about regional schools. It opens up a shattering story about mass murder because then there are no dreamers left. And like this stuff is brutal. And again, I'm not going to write that story. I'm not going to publish that and profit off of it. If that's going to be written into the game, it needs to be written in by an indigenous writer but like it brings up the question of like okay they're in this product somebody's making money off it do we not tell these stories or do we then deal with like what this becomes if we don't tell those stories so i think at the table you know if i was going to include the nunyahi even if i'm not going to tell that story directly because i'm the wrong person to tell it I think I would still have the Nunyahi and model them in my head when I have those characters appear, having lived those separate stages and having maintained their relationship with their cultures all the way up to the point when we really started fucking it up. Because as terrible and brutal as all that is to think about, saying, oh, the shattering happened as soon as white people got here is kind of worse. So I like having that post-European shattering, sundering story for the indigenous fae. I had a friend back when I lived in Bemidji who... I, I don't... I can... I could never tell if it was a joke or not. I think it was a truth that sounded like a joke, but um, one time he told me, do you know how we knew white people were coming? Mosquitoes came. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, and that was just one of those things where I was like, oh god. The more I think about it, the more terrible that gets. There's a time lapse between the mosquitoes coming and the settlers getting there. And I always read the story about how these weird changeling things showed up and they kept screaming about the shattering and we have no idea what they're talking about. They're weird. And then, oh god, it's the shattering! As a really reductive way to tell that story. I mean, even just going from the real world, as the United States got into its manifest destiny teenage years and started pushing Native Americans farther and farther west, like, those weren't one people. Those were dozens and dozens of people 
all being forced into the same space. Like if you look at a map that compares historical ranges for Native American tribes versus their current reservations, more often than not, they are nowhere near each other, the historical homeland versus where they are now. Even if your Nunahi is a character from the Plains, well before they're in direct conflict with settlers, there are other Native American groups getting pushed into their territory by the settlers. There's a whole story that should be happening during the Sundering that just doesn't. And again, I mean, all of that, when you look at when there was really a lot of the that push in America, that's all solidly post-shattering for the Cathane, which is, again, I, I feel like there needs to be a distinction there. The more we talk about this, the more I really feel like post-shattering for the Cathane should have been sundering for the indigenous Fae, which then there are lots of other stories to be told there where once upon a time, maybe those Fae would have gotten along just fine because neither of them were lashing out due to the injury that had been caused to them. But once you push the Cathane through the shattering and put all the forces in place that drive to colonization and think about, well, what does that mean in changeling? And then that rolls over and causes another sundering. Like there's a whole weird Dantain corollary there. I wouldn't tell that story directly. Like I feel like that story is complicated and messy and easy to screw up. But I do think there's an inverted version of that story where a certain Nunyahi looks at the relationship that, the Cathane have with their broken pieces and go, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel bad about that for reasons, and then just leave it hanging. There are ways where what happened back then could inform a modern response. The problem that you get having a, a rolling sundering and a rolling shattering like that is, particularly in places like the United States, where you would have had changelings competing with essentially true fae for space and resources, there's an unanswered question there. How would a changeling really compete with a true fae there? If the mythic age was so great and everybody was infinite cosmic power and the modern age is terrible because changelings are teeny and very easily squished, how did open conflict between essentially true fae and changelings turn out the way it did here the only answer to that question is colonialism the only answer to that question is giving a role to humanity like making humans the real power brokers in the world of darkness which they bring up regularly and the implications of that and this sundering are pretty ugly but I feel like that's the answer to that question. Yeah, but no changeling player likes to admit that humans are stronger than them. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Those are our thoughts on the Sundering. We touched on the Shattering a little bit, only because it ends the era of the Sundering. I uh, hope that you found something useful. I hope that you'll join us for our next conversation, primarily about the Shattering where we'll get into that in much more detail, and that some of this is useful at your table. A lot of it's 
prelude, a lot of it's informing how you react now as opposed to telling a story in this place. But it's interesting, even if it's a lot of empty space that you have to fill in. Hopefully, we've provided something that will help you with your games. And hopefully you will join us for our next conversation on Walking Away from Arcadia.